You're listening to Savage Wonder, a podcast about warriors and artists. It's long-form one-on-one conversations with veterans in the arts. This show is produced by the Veterans Repertory Theater, which is a platform for veterans and veteran-adjacent folks to create compelling live theater and events. My guest this week was Ashley Gutermuth, who I've wanted to have on the show for a long time. I've been a big fan of hers. I've been watching her from afar on Instagram, you know, seeing all of her social posts. She's an Air Force spouse uh, who, you know, has a really robust social media presence, um, poking fun at living on military bases, military culture, etc. But that's really just a fraction of her content. It's just, you know, that's her day-to-day life. So it's easy for her to generate social content off that. Her act, which I've seen on YouTube, is really strong and um, you know, devoid of any military reference necessarily. But uh, I think she's a really talented comic, and I'm really interested to see where things go from here uh, with her. Um, and I really enjoyed sitting down with talking with her. She couldn't uh, do uh, the full schwack. We couldn't sit down and just indulge and go for hours and hours. So um, I had to uh, pull my punches and uh, curb my enthusiasm a little bit. But I think what you get is a really good insight into Ashley and her mindset and her material. And if you don't know her work, uh, you should. And I'm tempted to kind of go on into wax poetic for a second about stand-up. Um, I guess I will a little bit because what the hell, it's my show. Uh, so, uh, stand-up has is, is always been near and dear to my heart. It was my first artistic, the first thing I professionally did artistically uh, out of college. It's what I dove into, um, and I dove into it. Uh, this isn't so much to talk about me, but it's more to hopefully set the stage so you fully appreciate what Ashley and I talk to and why I'm so interested in talking to comics, which we will have more of them on this show, I promise. Uh, for me, what the beauty of stand-up was that there was no safety net and ever all the responsibility was on my shoulders. So it's the only art form where you are everything. You are actor, producer, director, writer, um, at, you know, promoter. You are every All of it is on your shoulders. It's completely up to you, which makes it a... Um, Obviously, I was wildly successful at it because I went from there into, you know, military. <laughs> so, but I was really interested in what made a good comic a good comic. And I was really interested in seeing those traits. And I think, you know, nowadays with Joe Rogan and, you know, all that, you, 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 I think the world has been exposed to how cool it is to see the fraternal bonds between comics and, uh, and to kind of get a, a lot of insight into that world and what that's like. Uh, that was a much more privileged view uh, 20 years ago when I was doing stand-up because there was no social media or podcasts and all that. Um, but it was, but I loved that vibe. There was nothing like bullshitting with a bunch of comics at the end of your fourth set at 2 a.m. You know, at the Comedy Cellar or something. Like it just was an awesome vibe uh, and really creatively inspiring and all that. I found comedy incredibly challenging for. Uh, one simple reason that there's only one acceptable reaction to stand up, unlike every other art form where you can have 
any number of emotional responses to a piece of art that you see or music that you hear. Stand-up has only one acceptable response, and that is laughter. Not intrigue, not interest, not fascination, not a smile or, or a kind of comment to somebody, oh, yeah, that's funny. It, you has to be laughter, and, that, and you become a whore for the laugh. You, 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 know, you need that to be there, or at least I did, and I think I, I, think I can safely speak for at least a lot of other comics that were starting out, um, you know, that that's your metric for success. You know, um, I guess the best parallel I can say is, you know, having a 300 PT to score doesn't make you a great ranger, but it, it's a damn good start. Um, so, you know, I think being a comic, having laughs, you, you, you got to have the laughs and you, that you have to be on the hunt for them early on. And if you can get that, you might be a great comic eventually. Um, or even write them, but you have to get the laughs. And then the the rest of it, the George Carlin, Mark Maron, you know, guys like that that I looked up to who just had fascinating material as well, uh, then that can happen. But initially it has to be all about the laughs. And maybe not even initially, maybe at the end of the day as well. So that's me just kind of being a little indulgent, waxing poetic about the art form. It, it's something, as I say, will always be near and dear to my heart. And to be able to sit down and talk with Ashley about her process and about her journey uh, to be a comic was awesome. There's so much more that I want to get into uh, to talking about with her. And um, I hope we will in the dangerously near future. All right. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. I'm the artistic director at Veterans Repertory Theater. And this is the savage wonder of Ashley Gutermuth. What's up, Ashley? Hello, how are you? Dude, I'm so glad you're here. Um, so I've been uh, following you on Instagram for a while now, and we haven't had a comic on the show yet. So congratulations. You are the first veteran, <laughs> veteran adjacent comic we've had on the number show. Number one. It's all you're uphill from here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'll tell you what I, I really like. I'll start with uh, flattery, because why not? Um, so. Obviously, your Instagram is wildly robust and popular and easy for me to like constantly see all the stuff you're doing. It's awesome. It's easy to like. Uh, but when I went to your website and I started seeing your act, you have a really strong set. Thank you. I am. Uh, I like to be joke heavy. Um, that's my thing. It's a bold Which, choice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's it sounds so silly. But when you go to see comedians now there's usually like a long because it's like a story and a long lull before they get to a joke um which for me i just get i'm i have no patience so uh <laughs> i like to i like to get to the joke as quickly as and is the least amount of words as i can but i do have stories and things like that that i intermingle just you know to keep keep people uh you know engaged um but i like a good joke yeah, it's a lot of um a lot of fun misdirection and stuff that I really like. How much do you how much time does it take you now to churn out material? How many minutes do you have at this point? Uh the most I've ever done uh, uh set-wise is 90 minutes. You did um, 90 minutes. Wow. Wow. Yeah, okay. I had a show that I was doing in 
Rhode Island, and I was the headliner, and my opener got COVID, unfortunately. And so we were supposed to have a 90-minute show, and I thought, all right. Stretch, stretch. Oh, my (laughs) Lord. Let's figure it out. It was fun. I had a good time. Um, But, you know, that that was a an audience that wanted like that liked me uh uh-huh. so if it was an audience that had no interest in me whatsoever 90 minutes now <laughs> what was it did you how did you fill it was it crowd work what did you do to make up the 90 minutes yeah. i have i have tons i write all the time um so i've got tons of different things it's not all military stuff it's uh you know childhood things and um, just, you know, growing, yeah, growing up my, just my parents, both my parents were helicopter mechanics growing up with, with that. And, um, I run every day and pick up litter and that's always the strange litter that I find stuff like that. So yeah, that's, that's basically what it was, but I, I know that I have that amount of time. Right. Um, right. but you know, it's obvious, it is still, uh, situationally dependent. Sure. Yeah, I could say yeah. that amount of stuff, but there's been gigs where you're just like, Oh, I was at one where. Um, the microphone, I was only doing 10 minutes and the the microphone, if you walked more than two feet, it would cut out completely and no one could hear you. Wow. <clears throat> it was just so classic. Yeah. yeah, it was, oh, it was awful. Um, but yeah, well, let's dive, let's dive into some of this. So l- let me give you my bona fides. Cause I, years and years and years and years and years ago, um, that was my first entry into showbiz was doing stand up in the city. Um, so that was like my first love. And then, uh, Clearly, I was phenomenal at it because I went into a nice long military stretch, and now I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> so it worked out really well. But, um, but I, but I, I, so I say that to say there's things about stand up that I know, appreciate, love. But I know the business has changed probably radically. From I mean, we're talking late '90s, early 2000s. So I'm sure the business has changed radically. And one of the biggest things that's obvious is social media, and with <clears throat> how much material you put out on social. I mean, how does that take away from your material writing? Because obviously everything on social seems like it's all about being a military spouse and what it's like to live on a military base. <clears throat> like a lot of it's focused on that. So how how do you gauge what to put out on social versus what you're writing for your act? Uh, yeah. So it's, I think as long as I believe that the jokes will be there. The comedy gods have put the jokes on the bookshelf. You just have to go and grab them, right? As long as you believe that they're all out there, it's it becomes a lot easier. Uh, and I write every day, and every and I have extensive lists of things that happen during the day. Okay, I can use that. Uh, and it, especially like the Instagram stuff, it turns into just documenting your what you're going through. Like I, I go to the commissary. Okay, here's something stupid that happened at the commissary, or something that I just sparked my brain. Film it right away. Put it up. And then don't look at anything else. Don't worry about the views. Don't worry about the likes. Mm. You know, respond to the nice people in the comments and move on because that's where people get hung up. They go, oh, it didn't do as well as I thought it would. doesn't matter. <laughs> you got to move on to the next thing. When you say that you're writing your material every day, how do you? how disciplined are you? Do you actually set aside certain amount of hours or is it based on words or is it based on finalized jokes? What, what's your metric for writing every day? You know, it changes. I've gone from you know, 10 finished jokes a day to, okay, Whoa. let's just write down thoughts. Well, they might not all be good, but they're things that you can right. try. Like when, yeah. once you understand the structures, you're just plopping things in. Sure. Um, but uh, certainly with things that come from the Instagram jokes, which a lot of them are 
formed uh, jo- in a joke structure way because that's what's really good for social media because it has to be so short. My seconds that is, I'm I'm like oh god this is too long because <laughs> people tune out and the the real thing to do is to say something shocking and then flip it and that is everything now right that's what right. the news is right. for goodness sakes say right. something shocking and then uh that's what gets people's eyeballs but i try to do something funny different and then use that to help people use that kind of attention to to help people in different like military causes which has been a lot of fun so so but I, yeah my my personal belief is i i think Jokes can be funny, and there certainly are people that can tell other people's jokes. And like you told Jerry Seinfeld's joke on The Tonight Show, that went over really (laughs) well and all that. And there certainly are jokes like that. But ultimately, personally, I believe like at the end of the day, it it comes down to your own self-knowledge and your own identity. And it seems to me that for you to be churning out material to that extent that is so on brand, um, you just are a naturally funny person. And you're acutely aware of yourself. And you're acutely aware of how to turn that into gold right away. Have you always been funny? Is that something that just came easily to you and this was a natural fit? Um, I've definitely always wanted to be funny. So when I was <laughs> when I was growing up, uh, so I was saying both my parents were um, helicopter mechanics and they would be called out in the middle of the night to fix a helicopter that was broken. And I would go to work with them and it was usually fairly far away. It'd be like an hour drive. So I was from like three years old going to airports, listening to um, Monty Python or and any kind of comedy. We didn't really listen to music. We listened to comedy all the time. So I grew up loving British comedy. And uh, went into, uh, I would do plays at school. I have no interest and I have never had any interest in drama or anything scary. I ho- I find it holds no value in my life. <laughs> I think though, I think I would play an excellent vi- a villain. I think I could be, I could, could be a great super villain uh, just because of some of just, I just feel like I'd be good at that. But uh, when it comes to comedy is the top for me, that's yeah. you're, you're yeah. taking something bad that happened in a lot of cases and you're making something good come out of it. What could be better than that? Did your parents have, were they big on comedy just in general? Was it a funny household to grow up in? Was there a lot of wit? Was there a lot of wisecracks? What, what kind of house was it to grow up in? Yeah, we're definitely a, uh, you know, a roast kind of a family. Um, and definitely uh, a mess, really. It all comes from being a mess of a family. My parents are divorced now, but they worked in the same place uh, forever. There's both being helicopter mechanics. They both worked in the same place. That's not that's not usually a recipe for success. Sure. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, there's um, they were definitely funny. Uh, my dad's funny in a uh, dark way, dark troublemaking way. Um, just you know he he knows how to push my buttons in in certain ways like for example i was eating i have this joke that i do where i say i was eating an apple my dad saw it was an organic apple and he just said liberal (laughs) 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 i didn't didn't know didn't know that's what it was so uh stuff like that you know and um just for the sake of ribbing each other um but yeah everybody was funny uh, my grandma used to call me, well, she still does. She calls me comic. She would say that all the time. You're so comic, Ashley. You're so comic. Huh. Uh, so I guess I, that might've went into okay. my brain. Got you. And <laughs> what was the path then? So you went to school 
for like safety inspections or something, right? Didn't you become like a yeah? Did I hear that right? Did I read that yeah, right? Yeah, it's too yeah, it's too boring though. I can't, I can't do it. Um, I did. I went to Embry Riddle, which is a popular no school for wow. uh, you know, a military goes a lot of military pilots and that go to yeah. Embry Riddle. Went to Embry Riddle, and so there, I because I grew up around uh, aircraft and helicopters and things like that and um they're not both my parents aren't mechanics anymore they're like inspectors now and so they were like oh you should get into accident safety investigation and i i just like i can teach you how not to trip over like a cord make sure your fire extinguishers are inspected uh so. also now fascinates dynamite stuff yeah it's so yes I am afraid to fly too. I'm a terrible flyer. Um, and it's something else because so the, the entire time that I was spent, I spent, I learned how to ride bikes at um, airports. Like I was there all the time. And I only, there's only one crash. There's only one helicopter crash and all of the, and the people ended up being fine. Okay. My husband's a pilot. My, um, my aunt's like a flight attendant. My uncle is, um, another aircraft mechanic. Um, I, and I don't know, I even went to ground school and as, as I get older, um, I get become even more like ridiculous on planes. I just, I'm just like, oh, well, I'm going to die. This is what, what's that noise? <laughs> so what? That's fucking crazy. I, I don't wow. know what it is. Uh, when I came back, I was flying, we went to a, conference a couple weeks ago coming back from Atlanta and I was sitting next to my husband and he was like he was like okay well why don't you tell me what you're thinking what you're worried about and so when he would he was explaining some noises to me which actually was helpful and it's always helpful too when the pilot uh will say like hey we're about to hit some bumpy patch or something like that but the thing that always gets me is I'll hear the I'll hear the like the ding, which is just the flight attendant bell or the pilots calling for coffee or something like that. And every time I'm like, oh, my God, it's the pilot saying that we're going to crash and die. And then it's always like, ding, uh, the pilot says that you can take your seatbelts off. <laughs> and I'm like, every time. Come on, man. Just That's one time. You're going to have to crash. You're the one that's supposed to be like on top of it. You should, anybody should be on top of that. So are you like considered a super black sheep in the family? Or are they like, oh, Jesus, Ashley's like. What the hell? Totally scared of flying. What the hell happened? This acorn fell really far from the tree. Like, uh, what's the reaction in the family? Well, my dad also doesn't like to fly uh, as well, and so I guess it's starting to trip really? him out. I don't. Yeah, wow. I don't. And it's not good when the person fixing them is afraid to fly. That's not. Yeah, no, seriously. I was gonna say, is that like a thing? Is that a thing with mechanics where they're like, they see how the sausage is made, and they're like, dude, nah, <laughs> I don't like, want no. any part of that Mm-mm. shit. Yeah, there's something out there. It so, is safer though than driving a car. I was uh, two years, two and a half years ago. I was going down I five major highway on the west coast, yeah. coming back from a comedy show, and somebody hit me from behind and spun me on the highway, hit me into another car, and then into a barrier, and uh, just that that was crazy. Completely totaled the car, hit by an airbag, and lost some hearing and brain all putting. Like permanently lost hearing or just temporarily. Well, I guess it's permanent. They said that I could have a hearing aid, um, but it's uh, we in the middle of all that we moved. So, uh, (laughs) so and it's become uh, a nightmare to try to get any care for it. So I just kind of like figure, well, you know, let's see if we can just make it through till I die. You know, it's one of those. (laughs) That's what that's one of those things where uh, that's a sign to say, yeah, flying's not that bad. Yeah, it's trying. It's trying. 
It's true. They're trying to level it out for you. Jesus. Back it up, Ashley. Come on. That's fucking wild. So we so you're at Embry Riddle, so you're not stupid. Um <laughs> you going through the, did you graduate from Embry Riddle? I did graduate, but I went online. So okay. you know, it's not like they had to set aside a room for me or anything. I did I did all the I did it all online school. And I think it was a good school, but I am not good at um re- being in regular jobs. Uh, yeah. I cause I cause trouble because I'm always looking for jokes. I'm always yeah. I, I don't take really any of it seriously. And I've had a lot of jobs, uh, wor- worked at a lot of different places. And I can be uh, a really good employee until um, just like squirrel. OK, this would be a funny thing to do. Let's go try this. <laughs> this will be good. When So at that point, when you went to Embry-Riddle, would I mean, obviously you were thinking about it as a career, right? I mean, you don't go into something like that, like, yeah, let me put my toe in the water. Like that's an actual career mm-hmm. path, right? Yeah, it is uh, definitely. And it, you can make good money doing that. You work for the NTSB and you work for sure. the FAA and things like that. Um, I always wanted to do acting. And I didn't think comedy was uh, like, I didn't think I could. I just didn't see how it was a possibility. Otherwise, I would have been doing that. Easily, because I was doing at Toastmasters, I stuck into Toastmasters um, classes and uh, you had to be 18. I was 17. I used to go and do uh, Eddie Izzard impressions. And uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they liked it. And I would like I would have it just in that style. And um, eventually they liked it. They even sent me, even though I was sneaking in, they sent me to an improv competition. And um, uh, eventually they just said, you're going to have to read the book and, and do the. Do the real Toastmasters. I was like, no one wants this. No yeah, one wants. This. I don't yeah. want to do it. <laughs> I want to be silly and I want to um, make people laugh. So, yeah, I always wanted to do those things. Those are the most interesting things. But uh, the I've, I remember going to I, I was almost done, I think, with school and I went to an FAA conference, Federal Aviation Administration conference. Yeah. And. It's pretty sexy. Yeah, sure. I was, I kept looking around like, guys, is this what we're doing? This feels so boring. I couldn't, like, I was looking at people and I was like, you're not serious. This can't be. And even then, like, I've always written stuff down to like, you know, putting it in your phone for later. You're like, okay, this will be a funny thing. And I just remember, like, this should be a... (laughs) This in itself, it's like the, the you know, the movie, The Office or the movie yeah, uh, or yeah. Office Space. Yeah. Uh, you're just like, I can't. I couldn't do it. I, I just, the, if I'm bored like that and I don't yeah. see, I just cause trouble. So you got to take myself out. When did you flip the switch? When did you go, okay, hey, I'm actually going to try to make a career out of comedy? Um. <clears throat> so let's see. We were... And we know where Warner Robins, Georgia is. It's yeah, a, sure. there's an Air Force base yeah. in um, Middle Georgia, which is about a half an hour south of Macon. And there's to describe what it's like there. There's two roads and um, a Red Lobster, and that's it. And <laughs> there's not much going on there. But it's a cool base. I really liked living in in Georgia and on Warner Robins. But when I was there, I was like, how can I get into doing funny things? I started, I was like, there's got to be a way. And there wasn't really anything in Warner Robins, but there was stuff in Atlanta, which is two hours uh, away. 
And so I was trying to figure that out. And I started doing voiceover acting and taking lessons for that. And go. I went to voiceover conferences, which are fun. Uh, you meet people whose regular speaking voice is like a Disney princess. And you're just like, how? Oh, my goodness. I got I, when I was at this voiceover conference, I got bullied by uh, voiceover actors. And I was like, oh, my God. What? Like how? Yeah. Like, what does that mean? What, what are they? Are they like? put their fingers in their ears and go, ah, I can't listen to you. Nails on a chalkboard. Like, what does that mean? It was such a clicky thing. So they have, uh, they'll have people that, um, oh, they, they, you know, that do animated characters, Looney Tunes and things like that. They'll have those people come and tell you some tips and business tricks and, and try to help you improve your performances and things like that. And, uh, <laughs> I was in one of those classes and the guy had me, uh, read a script and he picked some sexy like cat or something that he was having me be which is not me at all I'm not there's not one part of me that embraces it like I'm so repressed and that was who he saw me as and <laughs> so you have to have really good control of your voice um, but one of the things that I still struggle with because we don't really do this in everyday speech is go up at the end of a sentence for a question usually uh, our questions yeah. go down yeah. And um, so there was some something I was supposed to read. And he was like, no, you have to ask it like a, it's a question. And I just I just couldn't like could I just don't talk like that and didn't have that kind of control. Anyway, so he gave me like two tries and he was like, all right, you're done. And then later I was at the rest. There was a restaurant in the hotel and I heard uh, three people go up to this guy and um they were like, could you believe they were like, I was right there. Could you believe that woman that couldn't go up at the end of her sentence? Oh my God, why is she even here? And I was like, I turned around and I was like, guys, Hey, what, what can you do? What couldn't go up at the end of a sentence? Yeah, that's thanks. Uh, can you hear my exclamation yeah. point right now as I'm hitting you? Can you hear that? <laughs> yeah. What? So, so this was in Atlanta, right? Yeah, that was Atlanta. So what did that, I mean, did that fire you up? Were you like, fuck you guys, I'll show you? Or was it, was it more just like, okay, tuck my tail and let me let me find something else or find another another line of effort to go oh, after? Oh, I still d definitely wanted to do it. Uh, that wasn't uh, an issue for me at all. And I loved that I was able to be there and turn around and call them out on it, which caused them all to immediately be like, oh, yeah. Oh, you know what? Why don't we come help you? And then they started like hanging, trying to hang out with me for the rest right. of the weekend. And I was like, this is what has happened. This is like middle school stuff here. You guys are like in your 40s. And so uh, that wasn't what slowed me down with voiceover. What slowed me down with voiceover is living on Warner Robins, which is a yeah. depot. Um, for uh, all the major airplanes. So they will tear them down and rebuild them. And then uh, it's very noisy. So you would have uh, helicopters all the time going oh. over your house. You had sonic booms every Friday. Yeah. Yeah. And most voiceover is recorded from home. And it was just, it was so loud all the time. Uh, and I, one day we had a stealth bomber that went over the house. If you don't know what that is, you absolutely would think that that is aliens coming to take you away. It was so cool and scary at the same time. And they can fly so low because it's on the base. Um, so th that was pretty neat. But from there, I, <laughs> I remember actually they were tearing down. Um, I wanted a, 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 there's a 
different types of isolation booths so that you could, it, nothing is really going to be soundproof, but you right. can do a better job in your house. And they make these really nice, well, they're, they're like $15,000 sound booths that you can buy. And then usually schools buy them. Well, I saw one on eBay that, and because they're so big, once they, their resale value goes way down. So it was like, uh, it wasn't going to be that expensive. Saw one on eBay, but I knew that there were they were tearing some of those out of the base, and I had been paying attention to the DRMO website to buy them from there. And DRMO wow. is where they when they rip stuff out, uh, or they have to get rid of things on military bases, they sell yeah. them. Yeah, I've bought stuff from DRMO before, like fun stoves and like gas stoves, hook them up to things, and uh, they have all kinds of like cars and cool stuff. Yeah. So I was yeah. watching there for ages. I knew that these things had been taken out, and I was like, I'm going to buy them from DRMO. Then they ended up on eBay, and I wrote. The people a message and i was like i know where these came from uh and i know was like what's up why are you able to sell these and they said how did you know where they came from and i was like well because i i knew that they were being torn out I'm and I, you're, yeah how yeah. many of these super expensive things are in warner robbins georgia and what it seems like happened was the contractors just took them uh, you know, when they tore down the building or whatever, they took them and they were like, sure. well, th maybe that was part of the contract that they could resell whatever the supplies were. But I was so mad. Um, <laughs> but from from there, we went to Washington, D.C. And I was like, OK, I'm going to set myself up nice little office. I've got the equipment and then we'll continue on. I'd completed. I have a voiceover demo. I had done some stuff uh some like tele uh, funny stuff, like which is you know, press one for battle watch. Right, kind of right, right. I had done a little bit of that and uh, moved to DC and we lived on Bowling Air Force Base, which is where all the presidential helicopters go. And also where it's like on the flight path to the airport. And uh, it was worse. The noise was worse. <laughs> I was like, how can this be worse? The The planes flew so low over my house going to land. Uh, I used to have nightmares about them crashing. Like, direct. Maybe that's where my fear of fl flying gave up. <laughs> well, it's just funny how much flying is factored into your life. I like, know. <laughs> like, I haven't even gotten into your husband, his career, anything like that. It's like, but already <laughs> flying is just like this thing that you, that's constantly oh. your your whole life is working around. So, so you true. just so the so the voiceover career just constantly is getting stalled out because of that. And then yeah. were you at the same time trying to do comedy or was it, oh, shit, I can't do voiceover. So I better go to some club where I can actually just talk into a mic so somebody can actually hear me. And I'm not um, at the mercy of the overhead traffic. I just would. I would just write. So at that, I, I, okay. I couldn't figure out where to go, what to do with it. Um, so I was just writing and writing and writing. And by the time, like, you know, God, I had like 70,000 words. It was some crazy amount that I had amassed. And I was like, like of jokes that because I wasn't performing them. Yeah. Uh, now, you know, my goodness, it's so much easier now with zoom. I wish zoom was around back yeah. then and the, with zoom mics and the zoom shows. Um, but has that been a thing? Know. Have there been Zoom shows? Is that like I'm so out of it with that? Is that what's been going on? The people are, oh, yeah, because you can't go to clubs, so people are doing Zoom shows. Um, definitely during the pandemic, it was more so. Uh, okay. but the uh, companies that's what I do a lot of work for is I companies will hire me to come in and do 
shows over Zoom for their because the, they haven't gone back into the office or they will never go back into the office. So all these people from home and uh, come in and do, you know, 30, 45 minutes. And um, I've done uh, I have a sheet of paper on my wall that says the most I've done in a day, which is 12. 12, uh, 12 shows. shows? Yeah. 12 Zoom shows, one after another. <laughs> That's so, yeah. so hold on. I, I, let's talk shop for a second, if you don't mind, because that's just fascinating to me. So first off, the dynamic of doing a show on Zoom where you can't, I mean, you can read the room, I guess, but the room is not really a room. It's this wildly diffused, you know, bunch of screens. Like, how does that work? What, what, what does that, do you change? How does it make you feel? How do you adapt to that? Um, you definitely got better at it and it's uh, a different skill. In-person stuff is better, um, but you can reach people that I like it because you can reach people that would never go to clubs uh, mm. or go out to places. So that's nice. Um, but it's why I have such a good I have a good setup. You know, I use a DSLR. I use real microphones um, and uh, you sort of learn to look into the camera <laughs> when, when you're doing stuff so that people yeah. can see you. I encourage I your. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I encourage as much participation as possible. So I have a joke right off the bat that tell, gets them to unmute because that's one of the big things people don't like to unmute. I mean, but I've done shows uh, for for just black squares and uh, you, you'll be like, oh, hey, guys, can you unmute? Are you there? And then you'll get like a thing texted in the chat. Yeah, yeah, we're here. No, we can't unmute. Sometimes the companies oh have settings. Oh, my God on wow. zoom where they literally don't let them unmute and you're like why why <laughs> that's in, why would you hire a comic that's got to be so what i relate that to when i was first starting out doing stand-up i would go to central park and i would stand on a bench and try to do material because i had so much material i wanted to work out yeah. and i had no room to go to and you know i was trying they were making me do bringer shows and i couldn't always bring people to go to their shows and all that and it was fucking brutal because there was no consent. You know, you can't, people are just walking by. There's no buy-in to your act and trying to get a read. I noticed it fucked up all my material because I had to speed up my delivery. So I get to a punchline before somebody walks away, just totally jacked it up. The setting, my point being the setting is everything. So to do that, when people are muted, uh, do you find that you can't get a read on your material doing that? Or are you just like, Hey, I'm confident. I know what I'm doing. I know this has worked in other, in other settings. It's good. I'm just gonna have to accept the fact there's not gonna be any gratification for this. Oh yeah, that's all that it is. You're like you're like, ah, oh, I know it works. So wow. here you go. If you guys want to enjoy it less, then don't turn anything on. Uh, fortunately, wow. now the people are more used to the online stuff. They will unmute, and you know you just got to tell them you're not gonna make fun of them. I always say if your dog barks, that just counts as a standing ovation. Don't worry about it. It's okay. Uh, if you can't, you can use the emojis. Um, type in the chat. Otherwise, it's weird. And usually what I do, I call them out. I'm like, guys, is this what you do during your your meetings? Is that is this productive? You all just sit uh, quietly with on black screens. And that usually uh, gets them going. Yeah. Um, the weirdest one, though, is when they ask you to pre-record your show and send it. And then they will send it out to their employees to watch whenever. That's the weirdest that's, one for me because wow, you could wild. buy them a subscription to Netflix. You could like anything else why yeah. would they want to watch yeah 
somebody that they probably don't know who they are. Uh, let them watch and choose what they want to choose to do. So I did, and that would just be me just talking to myself. There's no audience at all. I just recorded for 15, 30 minutes of my act and then they distribute it in whatever way they want. And you're like, why is this? How did this come up? <laughs> <laughs> do you ever slip and just put some crowd work in there? And then you're like, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about, guys, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. That's so trippy. That's so like Orwellian. So what was your first time in a club? Um, you know what? I probably Washington state, um, it was in a teapot, a teapot club, uh, okay. which is a pre, um, they've, they've been around since before prohibition, I think, cause they used to smuggle alcohol through the bathrooms and Nirvana played there. And Tom Hanks has been there and it's shaped like a giant teapot and it's tiny. Oh, badass. It's super cool. It's, it's yeah. a really, really kind of neat place, but the, it's the kind of place where people do all kinds of like cool, trippy stuff. And, yep. Uh, and what was it? Were you poetry. invited? Were you invited or was it like well, it's a just like show that you're supposed type to? Okay. Type open stuff, mic. Yeah. And, how, and they do shows there. How did it feel? How did it feel to go in there and finally have all this material that you can actually unleash on people that are looking back at you? Oh, it was, it was good. Uh, I that was my plan when we moved to Washington State. My play, I knew immediately where I was going to go to go to open mics and what shows I was going to do and how I was going to implement it because I was like, I have oh. had enough because I'm I've, yeah. we're living in these places where I'm so far away from everything, and I was trying to get into. Uh, we were at uh, Del in Delaware. And I was trying to get into the Armed Services Arts Partnership because mm -hmm. they they had all kinds of cool stuff like that. And they didn't do online stuff back then. And um, they they said I live too far away. I was like, I'm willing to come in. It should be OK. But uh, I love that program. It's yeah. so helpful to so many different people. But um, I just I was so I had a plan. I knew how I was going to fill my days and I was going to it was going to be all doing as much stand-up as possible. And then I was able to do, like, in Seattle, you could do four a night on some nights. Yeah. Pop from place to place. So they they had a really good They had a good scene. scene. Yeah. Yeah. And was it, I mean, it, it seems like you're kind of matter-of-fact about getting into the clubs. Was it, did they have a big vetting process? Was it hard to get regular stage time? Was it competitive? Um, um, or was, was it kind of a layup? Like, you could just put your name on a list and you're on. Um, well, at that particular one, you would ask to, if you could have a spot and then, you know, they would pick whoever they wanted to have a spot. Uh, there's a lot of different, so I was in, I lived in Tacoma, which is like 45 minutes South of Seattle. So I would just hop around, go, all right, I'll go up to Seattle, come back down to Tacoma, down to Olympia, which is another, you know, half an hour and just a lot of driving. Uh, yeah. of trying to get various spots so there there's it's just a lot of i guess like everything else you go and you uh people see that you're a decent person that's trying and you try to meet those other types of people and you they will put you on their shows um if you're polite and show up on time and that's what i try to do i am um, uh too i would describe myself as too keen uh <laughs> I will show up way too early for something uh, just to be sure, you know, so I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm here. You know what it's like if you're producing something or you're trying to put something together and you're like, oh, is the person that's supposed to be here here? Why is it? That it's five minutes still. Where are they? I don't want to put that kind of stress on people. So, uh, so um, 
Um, okay, so we we should really dive into uh, your husband for a second. Just first, let me just ask: How does he feel about your career? Because obviously, you dime oh, him out a lot. It, yeah. Does is, is yes. he get a kick out of it? Yeah, that he's he like the butt of so many jokes, or the relationship is a butt of so many jokes. Yeah, yeah. The it's it's funny because like I, I I don't know. I I didn't really talk about the military stuff. Uh, for a long time and people told me there wasn't really an audience for it and they mm. said well who, who's going to get this and mm. apparently oh, it's a lot of people they will get it um and they i also didn't want to like upset his career you know because yeah the and that's a big part of you know your you don't you, there's so many inbuilt things with being a military spouse where you don't you're kind of told all right don't do that because you don't want to get your husband or your wife in trouble and so i I'm a bad wife uh, in a lot of ways, but I, um, I w- we got to the point where we moved and he might retire soon and he can't get promoted anymore. And I was just like, all right, let's burn this to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So every, every, everybody that's like, yeah, ready to retire now, their spouse is going, fuck yeah, I'm lighting yep. this thing up. Yeah. That's up. so, so, so really did coincide with his career. There was, that was kind of taken into account. Well, yeah, I didn't. Uh, there's a couple things. He deployed and he was gone for like seven months. Um, and during that time, even though like I would make some jokes about it, but I was also alone completely. So I didn't want to make jokes about my husband being deployed at, at a place where I'm going to have to walk out to my car alone, you know, and, and yeah. you know, I lived on base yeah. and things like that. You yeah. start to broadcast those things. It's totally. not, uh, not a great idea. So uh, there was always that. And because they're gone all the time, that's another part of it too. I, and I'm at places alone. Um, so, uh, but I always did the older husband jokes. Um, so that was always at the top of my, my thing. Cause he's older than me, but yeah, it's, uh, I have not found any pushback from any generals. I've got generals and generals aides that watch my stuff. And, um, they sort of look at it, I guess, sometimes for okay, what's happening? What are the what are some of the issues? And um, <laughs> uh, so I just got to start making some up, I guess. Um, I don't know. You, you pinpoint a lot of stuff. I, I think if I was a base commander, I'd be getting a lot of information from what some of the complaints <laughs> you're putting out there. Um, so now you guys are in New Jersey, right? Yeah. And you're adjacent mm-hmm. to the city, so you can get into the to New York. Yeah. Um. How often do you go into the city? How often do you do sets there? Uh, often. I was there a couple of days ago. I'll go up if I don't have shows in other places and I don't have like commitments. Um, <clears throat> I will go to the city all the time. It doesn't take me long. I just take the train in mm-hmm. and um, I can sit on that and I can do, you know, whatever busy work sure, I have. Sure. And then it drops me right off in Penn Station. And I hop around. But it's uh, yeah, I go up to Broadway Comedy Club and Greenwich Comedy Club and uh Try to get as many. Oh, I'm doing a show at Caroline's with the Armed Service Starts Partnership on September 15th, which is a oh, fundraiser. Cool. Oh, badass. Going to yeah. have Judy Gold on it and a bunch of other cool people, uh, Dwayne White and Robin Phoenix. That's <laughs> right. I saw me. that. I didn't know you were going to be part of that. Okay. Yeah. I, I actually just got something from them on that. Oh, that's cool. What's the percentage of live shows you're doing versus not live shows versus Zoom shows or Zoom shows are the the soul crushing record yourself and send it to us. Yeah. Uh yeah. Um I do more live shows now 
But I think that as fall is coming and as Christmas parties are popping up, there's going to be it's going to start to even out again. Last year, way more um, sure. virtual shows. Sure. Uh, I uh, can say with confidence that I believe <laughs> I can say with confidence that I believe I did more uh, clean virtual comedy shows than anyone else last year. I did so many. I mean, uh, an unbelievable amount because I would hop on anything paid, unpaid, didn't care. Uh, I can get five minutes. I can open for somebody else. That's I did great. hundreds and hundreds. Um, but I mean, yeah, in some cases a month. Uh, but well, let's talk yeah. about that for a second. So I remember, um, again, this is dating myself, but uh, Jim Gaffigan was big even when I was doing stand up, but he hadn't, he wasn't the name, the, quite the name he is now. But I remember that was one of the things he always said. He's like, never turn down stage time, get on every stage you possibly can constantly just be working, working, working. And I tried that because I was like, oh, that seems like sensible advice. And I found it to be soul crushing because I was like, there's some rooms I just went to and I was like, oh my God, I think I took 12 steps back there. Like I have so much self-doubt now. And yeah. I thought I was, <laughs> do you find that or has it just been like steady improvement and you're seeing and you're seeing your confidence constantly rise or do you find yourself working tough rooms a lot that just wreck your soul? Um, well, I always follow the Sarah Millican law, which is a Brit. She's a British comedian. She's very funny. And her rule is you don't whether you have a good gig or a bad gig, you don't think about it beyond 11 a.m. the next day. Um, and I have definitely done some really crappy things, you know, like hotels, birthday parties where nobody's listening. Uh, people that get mad. I had somebody that got mad. It was a clean show. And when they went to pay me, they they were holding the check like a little bit like out of my reach. And I was like, that's weird. Cause I just done an hour on a, like a dock, uh, outside, um, with a disco ball, uh, karaoke machine. Uh, <laughs> I was like, and I even stayed like at a little extra time because the people seemed like they were enjoying it. And, and he was like, well, the owners just want you to want you to know that they're not happy with you because you talked about some of your material wasn't clean. And I said, oh, well, I've, I mean, I've done this all over the, literally all over the world with virtual stuff. Um, what wasn't clean? And he said, you talked about cheating. And I do have a joke where I talk about cheating. I don't say what kind of cheating, just the concept of cheating. I don't even mention sex. I don't, anything like that. I was like, no, no, no. I was like, thank you. I said, was there anything you'd like me to do about it? He said, no. I was okay. You just want me to feel crappy? Is that what that is? That's <laughs> Sometimes so weird. Yeah. It's just people, they just, I don't know what their deal is. They say such bizarre things, but it was fine. They paid me, so it was all good. But uh, just, it's just such a weird circumstance. Do you have um, blue material? Do you ever go blue? Or is it always clean with you? Um, it's most of the time it's clean. If it's not a, uh, I'll loosen up a little bit if it's uh, definitely not a clean show. Um, but uh, if somebody brings me up at, and it's, it's say it's not a clean show and someone brings me up as like the super cleanest comedian that's ever been, I will immediately start swearing and being disgusting because I can't. The, the joke there is that I'm the opposite of that, right? So you have to feed right into that. You can't just let that softball go. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Was there a logic to that? Like, are you strategic about working clean? Are you trying to get, you know, a late night set together? So it's like, hey, I need to just practice working clean. Or is that just how you are? It's like your comedy just tends to run clean and you might as well just play to that. Yeah, that's just how I am. Um, I've never... 
My, I never really swore. Uh, I don't in my day to day life. So it just doesn't like come out that way. And I don't have anything against it. And I like watching people that are dirty. You know, it cracks me up. Um, but it just I'm repressed. Eventually, there's something that's going to snap. I know it's coming. Uh, it's going to be real, be real bad. Uh, are you are you repressed? Is that what's going on? Yeah. Is that what this all is? Oh, okay. yeah, totally. I think that's really what it is. I so I went to um, my parents were kind of Catholic. I kind I say kind of Catholic because I got communion. You're supposed to get communion when you're in like second grade. I got it when it, it was like twice the height of all the other kids. I remember the chairs. I was just way too big for it. And they were like, you have to go do this. And I remember they made me have a, a meeting with the, the people at the church. And they were like, Ashley, you have to wear a communion dress. And I was like, why can't I wear communion shorts? Like, what is, why do I think you could be a girl for one day? Because I would never wear dresses. I played baseball. You know, I did boxing. And my dad used to give me uh, throwing knives and stun guns. And uh, so... <laughs> So all that stuff about your dad saying he wanted a son and you're like, yeah, that really hurts my brother's feelings or whatever. That's yeah. <laughs> that's that's actually true. You you really were being groomed as a boy, basically. Oh, 100 percent. I and I was good. I was a good baseball player. I played baseball with boys and I um I was shortstop and batted fourth. And up Damn. until I, I couldn't be on the teams anymore because they just it was all boys teams. Right, um, right. And then when I went to softball. Um, I would throw the ball from shortstop and the girl on first base would run away. And uh, they were like, it's too hard. Or you're throwing the ball too hard. And I remember I got cocky too. So my dad was super, I remember this. He was so mad. Uh, slow pitch softball. And I went from regular pitch baseball and but I did like everything. I, I went to like baseball camps. I, I went to a oh, baseball damn. camp where I, I hit, you're supposed to hit a tire. You hit a rubber tire and then I hit the rubber tire. It went whoosh, hit me back in the head and <laughs> one of those. Um, but so slow pitch softball, which was super easy for me because I'm used to these uh, hitting fastballs. Yeah, and sure. um, I remember they used to walk me on purpose because I would hit it over the fence, which is I'm just bragging. This, I can just come on here. To oh, uh, yeah, totally. Yeah. This little league of hitting it over the fence. And <laughs> I um, they were going to walk me and it was like the third ball and I still swung. And it was way intentionally. And my dad was like, what are you doing? I was like, I want to hit the ball. Uh, so, yeah, I, he was my coach for a few years. And we would, um, oh, my God, I had this moment once where my brother's like eight years younger than me. And he um, was really little. My dad and I were playing catch in the backyard. And my dad would not, like, he would whip the ball at me. He was like, just, like, so I was, it was harder and harder and harder. And at one point he threw a pop-up and my brother was in the middle of us and the ball was going to come down and hit him. So I ran over and I like enveloped him. So the ball hit me in the back. Okay. Uh -huh. And then my dad was like, why didn't you catch it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. My <laughs> I so desperately wanted to be a hero that I forgot this skill that I had like an idiot. Um, but yeah, I, I still like, I wanted to be a professional baseball player. Uh, it's from when I was really little, but, uh, that I liked football. I was always playing uh, whatever football I could as an adult played ice hockey, couldn't skate, just was like, all right, let's do this. Uh, I didn't know how to stop. So I would just throw myself <laughs> one end to the other. Eventually I figured it out. It, I, I was pretty good. I could score because I've got that like just <laughs> intensity but you man you can't I'm, play defense yeah you can't go backwards no, no. yeah yeah 
And I wouldn't want to play defense. I don't have that. Like I am, I want to be the wide receiver. I want to be <laughs> the the center. You know, that's uh, always been my thing. You're cocky. You're I'm cocky. super you want, cocky. You want the cock. You want the cock. And dude, that's what stand up needs, though. You can't be a good stand up without being cocky. It's you and a microphone. There's yeah. no fucking safety net. Like if it's right. if, if you don't have confidence, what what who's going to have it for you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. It's leading into what my latest plan is, where the army's talking about sending me to boot camp or basic training, depending on what you want to call it. The because the recruiting numbers are super low. Okay. Nobody can recruit. Uh-huh. And even the service academies are down by like their applications are down by like 47%. And the service academies, I'm here to tell you, are a good deal. Uh, uh, I have a kid at the Naval Academy. It's a good deal. I've been there. <laughs> uh, so apply. But so I reached, I put a thing out that said, hey, I will go. Uh, to, if it helps you with your recruiting numbers, I will go to any of the services, basic training, recruit training, and um, I'll I'll do it. You just got to get public affairs to film it, put it on YouTube. I'm not going to get any payment for anything like that. Put it out weekly on YouTube, film it right, watch me slowly collapse. And then as people see that they can, if I can do it, they can do it. They can see that I can talk about how it's a good option for their families. I can talk about uh, the the different things that you go through. A big thing, why people are afraid of like military life is they don't understand anything of what it is. So I try to make a point when I go to ceremonies, I went to a change of command the other day and I posted some videos from it and um, people are like, oh, my God, I had no idea this is what they did. I thought people only the people that join the military are idiots. You're like, no, right. there's amazingly right. brilliant people with several master's degrees and PhDs and doctors. It's like a it's a business. And, um, you know, they're like, oh, I don't want my kid to be deployed. Well, in some, in some cases, or in a lot of cases, they'll they'll want to be deployed because they're trained so hard to to do this job. I know yeah. my husband; he loves deploying, yeah. and he's done yeah. it loads of times. Um, and he's like, "This is what I do all the training for." So yeah. 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 So, um, but well, not uh, to mention how many people spend money sending their kids abroad and all right. that. And it's like, and they come back and they're like, "Yeah, I'm I'm really a big traveler. I went to France." And it's like, motherfucker, <laughs> like. <laughs> Do you know what Eastern Africa is like? You know, do you know what Southeast Asia is like? Like, you know, it's a bigger world out there. You know, there's third Mm -hmm. world also. So, yeah, I no, I I totally agree. But so let me just say something about the boot camp thing, because that sounds really interesting. And it sounds interesting for a couple of reasons. One, you're smart as fucking hell. I think that's such a good play. Just publicity. Like, and I'm not saying that you're sitting there, you know, twirling a mustache and with these Machiavellian (laughs) plans. But I mean, it's like. That's that's a fucking brilliant PR move um, because it is on brand for you. And I guess it makes me wonder, is that you're like, it seems like you're you're certainly embracing the flag in your stand up or at least in your online, con- your your uh, social content a lot. Is that a thing for you? Is it like important that that be part of your personal brand of comedy or is it just like, hey, well, as, as long as it's part of my life, it'll be part of it. But I'm not like fishing for that to be part of it. Mm, it feels so I would join the military if I could. I don't think that they would take me at this point, uh, especially after the car accident. I don't think that I would make it through MEPS. 
Um, if I could join the go to OTS and go to the Air Force Reserve, I probably would. Um, so I'm into all that stuff. I like all that. And I also I go to tons of ceremonies. I have we've lived at all these different bases. I've met all these different people. I see people that work so hard and people that are genuinely yeah some people join the military because they want to like a college thing or they want a different experience or they want to get out of their town but once they're in that they're they develop these other things and i love feeling like we're the good guy like we're going yeah. around and we're we're helping people to to do things you know like uh the stuff i live on the base where um when the afghanistan Right. thing happened we had the village that was here and settlement uh, village. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and uh they were talking about that at the change of command the other day how there's going to be fourteen thousand new americans because they're all gonna they're they are not going to be processed in that way and how it was amazing because nobody was allowed to take pictures um obviously it was a very sensitive thing but there were uh like there was a uh, chief who was just walking along and then one of the little kids from Afghanistan ran up, grabbed his hand, and started walking with him, started holding his hand while he's in uniform. Like, a, so cute. That when we would have retreat, five o'clock, play the national anthem, they would go, they'd look around, see everybody saluting, and they would start saluting the flag. There's so, like, and so I started to talk about that because I'll get messages from people saying, oh, well, you're sometimes I'll get like horrific things like you're just your husband. Why would you, how could you love a husband that goes around and kills kids or oh, kids, blows Christ. up babies around the world? And you're like, Oh my God. So there's definitely that where I want people to see that. Yes, there's things that need to be changed always, but there's also good things happening. And how can I best get that out? So, um, I, I really like that. And I always, and I, I try to like tread a fine line because I understand that there's people that are hurting and uh, they, you know, there's big issues that I do not understand uh, always. Um, but I think uh, just trying to have that sense of pride and and believing that we're we're trying to do good things even around the world is really nice uh, because I feel like we're losing that. And I think we lose that partially because of the internet. We don't talk to anybody anymore. You don't go and see things. And, you know, it's all, that's why people, the, what do they call them? Keyboard warriors. They just right. type right. anything and right, whatever right, right. comes up with. But so that's, I really like that. And I like showcasing people that are doing good things. Um, thankless things. Uh, you know, the people, the military that move, you move every two years, the kids, the kids that have gone to 19 different schools. In some cases, that's not an exaggeration. Uh, around the world, by the time that they have graduated, uh, they've been to so many different schools. They can't be valedictorians because they don't they haven't spent enough time at one high school even though they may have the credentials you know, all the li stupid little things that really uh start to build up but yeah that's my thing i want to help people i like to be funny but i also like to be able to use that attention to help bigger causes and to make people look at the military and go wow i'm really proud of them that's well, let me ask, let me put it in form of a question. How much does that come out when you're gigging around town? Because just culturally, I mean, that's so 
that's so um that's not something that a lot of comics starting out in their career can talk about you know they can't get they can't necessarily lobby for causes and all that and 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 do that early on that's not a you know it's tough to make that kind of stand and certainly when you're talking to, i mean again i'm dating myself a little bit but i don't think the scene has changed that much where advocating uh, showing the upside of the military lifestyle is a big cause celeb in the in the new york city stand-up mm-hmm. scene mm-hmm. i mean culturally how does have you had pushback what's it been like has it been uncomfortable for you is everybody just cool and it's like hey do your thing and and everybody's just got their own lane and it all works what's the experience been like for you just to mix and mingle in the stand-up community yeah yeah and you know what people come up to me other comics will say i'm like i saw your videos i'm super like i i might not have understood everything about it but uh i i'm really interested in that life and i think that's part of it Mm -hmm. why i I post so many things is to show the different aspects of the life because you kind of just it is a little bit 1950s you know there's still uh, the, like the good part of that is kids still like you'll see kids outside riding bikes and playing on the playground. And um, you'll but you'll also there's a lot of like disparity with women and military wives that uh, can't get jobs because you're constantly moving around and uh, the things that go along with that. But I definitely yeah, they I, I haven't had really any pushback that I can think of. Um, just mostly questions like what, what's it like? Um, can you get me on the base? (laughs) It's also funny when they're like, can I sleep on your couch? And I'm like, you can, but here is when you need to tell me if you have any felonies, uh, cause (laughs) I'll take you down. There's nothing I can do about it. (laughs) Well, you know, it's where I want to check myself on what I just said before. Cause it's, it is funny. It's like, I, I guess you technically qualify as like at the start of your career ish you know, time frame, but it's like, you don't seem it. You don't seem to have the desperation that I always associated with myself and other folks that were like starting out and hustling and going to clubs and all that. Like you seem like you're hustling and you're getting all this stuff, but you're also, um, you're reaping the rewards. Like you're getting an awful lot of, certainly the social media thing is big, but also you're getting paid gigs and you're getting opportunities and you're keeping an equilibrium. You don't seem like you don't seem like you're fucked up enough is what I'm trying to say. You don't seem like, <laughs> you don't seem like you're, you're, you know, absolutely desperate, you know, like just 2am at the comedy cellar, just going, Oh my God, I've got to go screw this person to get this gig tomorrow. Like it, there's, there's a certain degree of nihilism that I always associated with, uh, with stand up, And it doesn't seem like that's you. It seems like you have a real sense of balance and equilibrium with it. How do you feel? right now where do you see yourself in your career are you content with where you are or do you have where do you see yourself going with it what, what where are you on the trajectory uh am i content i will never be content with anything ever i'm not mm. that's not who i am uh so it will always be what is the next thing so i can equate it to my running i've ran every day for almost 8 years i've not ever missed a day even after my car accident i've fallen in two gopher holes uh, and uh, fractured my ankle. I, I'm currently running on a, at least one broken toe, um, and I run three to four miles every day. Um, and when I first started doing that, I couldn't. I couldn't barely finish a mile. It was like 16, 17 minutes. And after doing running at least a mile every day for a hundred days, I could get that down to eight minute miles. 
So uh, just the continuing of mm-hmm. little chip by chip away and when and also the other side, when does that end? When when do right. I have to be <laughs> like right. I was in the hospital and I still didn't stop uh, running. Um, so it, where do I I uh, am going to continue to try to increase whatever whatever I can find to uh, to do more. And as long as that correlates or lines up with doing good for other people uh that is is where it will be the best i'm not desperate i, I remember my voiceover acting teacher saying that you, nobody gets jobs because they're desperate she was like that is the mm. thing that makes people hang up the phone and it's true i also stay out of drama i have no interest in any of that if you know when people start to bicker and fight move along uh which i guess as a result people don't really hassle me too much. Uh, <laughs> That's a great thing. Uh, I try not to gossip about people. I try to just be positive and and nice and as hardworking as I can possibly be. Because what what else are people going to say about it? Like, oh yeah, she does a lot of stuff and she's around and there's going to be good gigs. There's going to be bad gigs, and you just keep working up the ladder. I also don't really. I don't know. I've always been able to see patterns quite easily. You can sort of see what the mm. what the roadmap is. Uh, I work with comedians, like you were saying, I'm at the beginning of my career. I've been doing it for years, but you're at the beginning as a comedian, you're at yeah. the beginning of your career until you're like 10, 12 years yeah. in. Yeah. Um, and I work with guys that are 30, 40 years in and we're doing the same shows. And you're like, okay, well, then you better enjoy the ride (laughs) because if you're going to be doing the same stuff. So uh, going along with that is I see their frustration. They are extremely good comedians because they've been doing it forever and they work hard at it, but they can't get into clubs anymore because they don't have a social media uh, presence. So I try to help them with that. But it is a an all day kind of thing. You have to really like it and you have to like putting yourself out there and have that sense of confidence. Like, all right, even if people don't get this joke, you just post another one, just move on. Um, And that's become an active part of being a comic now that you have to do social, right? You have to be present on there constantly. I don't know. I mean, unless you were already famous in some other way, how you would do it. And it's nice, though. That's the thing. Um, I've had agents and managers and um, the more people you have involved, the less freedom you have. And um, I don't like it. I like that I can do th- like a, a manager would not want me to go to boot camp for 10 weeks right? because he's not going to make any money off that. But I know that the good things will come out of that. Yeah. Maybe not for me, maybe, but people, you know, the military will go, hey, we got some new people interested um, and that will make me feel good. And I think that would be an awesome experience. Um, so I, you know, the more that you can handle yourself, the better, my goodness, people always want agents and managers, but yeah, yeah, you yeah. want the right yeah. one. You want a good one. Well, so I know I, I want to let you go cause uh, I don't want to take up your whole Sunday. And, um, that said, I got, I got to ask a couple of things. How long have you been at stand up now? How long have you been doing it? Oh yeah. I don't know, like four plus years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember, uh, I remember when they had uh, at Just for Laughs, they had the the newcomers night, and it was like a bunch of people that were like thirteen years in. Yeah, <laughs> it was like yeah, I was like, oh, Jesus Christ! I was like, God just damn, the last man. new faces. I mean, you'll have yeah. an HBO special, so yeah. it's, it's that's the thing you got to do and enjoy what you're doing because it's all 
Yeah. <laughs> but it but it also seems though like uh I don't know when I'm when I'm listening to you talk it seems like because you are enjoying the ride that you are somebody that you could get a sitcom but you'll still probably be going out to clubs and doing gigs oh, yeah. anyway, right? Yeah, I would love that just to be able to get into more and more clubs to because that's hard, you know, even New York City you're trying to figure out how do you network in ways especially when I don't because I'm on the road so much and so I'm not there all the time. That's the big thing. They need to see your face um and see you know so but I'm out you know I'm going to there's a military influencers conference I'm going to be gone for that I'm going to do airlift tanker association conference I do all of these military gigs and I do all these other just regular road gigs so I'm always sort of gone um but are you are you traveling constantly on the road as a comic I, I do I do travel wow. a lot, yeah I was what let's see I was in Oklahoma I was in I did a shows in Detroit up at one night stands. Um, yeah. So I go, I go all over. Um, Damn. I would think that though, with your social following, I think that would be really attractive for any club in the city to go, Hey, that'd be cool to bring her in. I think, I think so. It's just me. Uh, you know, I work a couple clubs now um, mm -hmm. and it's just figuring it all out. I hate, uh, <laughs> I hate scheduling. I would much rather call a place and be like, do you have an opening today? Yeah. And I could just show show right up. Yeah. Because as soon as you start to, I hate like the hassling, not not the hassle on my half, but contacting someone and feeling like I'm taking them out of their day to be like, oh, can I please have, do you have this? Here's my availability. And I understand that that's what you need to do. Um, but I also, I always feel like I'm hassling them <laughs> and I don't like uh, that. So that's yeah. part of why I do all this stuff on my own. Cause I'm like, okay. Nobody else has to be bothered by it and I can, you know, control it. I'm also very controlling. <laughs> but that's, but that's part of being a comic too. I never knew a comic that wasn't like part entrepreneur, part, you know, either everything, producer, actor, director, yeah. like you're everything. Right. And that's kind of the skill set. Um, Ashley, I, I fucking would love to have you back on. Uh, there's so much I would love to talk about more Let's with you. It. And, and especially because like, <laughs> almost I'm, I feel like I'm becoming like the old PBS historian now of stand-up comedy, but I'm like, <laughs> uh, like that's, I, I lo I'd love to know how the business has changed and like what it means to pass at the comic strip now, what it means to pass at stand-up New York. I don't know if that's a thing anymore. Yeah. I, 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 for me, I'm like, when I got passed to the comic strip, I felt like I'd fucking ascended. I was like, yeah. holy shit, this is, this is it. But I don't know if that's still the metric. I don't know if that's what people go by now. And there's just stuff like that. I would love to know. Um, and, and, but regardless, I'm so excited to see what you do in your career. I your your social's awesome. I can't wait until the point in time where I get to see you live. Um, because I uh, I said I think your set was ridiculously strong. And um I yeah, Thank I just am really interested to see where you go from here. I really appreciate it. And I hope to meet you in person too. And then I'd love to come back and chat with you. Let's do it. That'd be great. All right, you <laughs> rock. Let's talk soon. That was the savage wonder of Ashley Gutermuth. Uh, man, that was fun. Really had a good time talking with her. It's been a long time since I've talked with another comic. I think the last time I talked with another comic, well, that's a story in and of itself. I won't get into that here. But um, Or maybe I should. I mean, uh, the, I don't know. Yeah, that the probably is, maybe, maybe it's worth getting into. I don't know. The last time I, I talked with another comic, um, and the, uh, the reason I hesitate is because it sounds name droppy, which I think when you talk about standups, it, it, everything is name dropping because 
everybody, if they're in it for long enough, becomes a bit of a name. Uh, but um, so it's unavoidable, but it's a mildly interesting story. Um, I guess uh, when I started out in stand-up, I started out at about the same time as uh, Tony Rock, Chris Rock's brother. And uh, and so Tony and I ended up working a lot of shows together. Uh, and I remember we played one really heated football game uh, at the comic strip with, uh, God, what was that? It was like the comic strip touch football league. Anyway, whatever. Um, so we, we knew each other. And then in uh, 2006... I was now bouncing in a nightclub in LA. Clearly my comedy career had gone to, you know, stunning heights. <laughs> and, uh, and Tony came in, uh, and I guess he'd done a set at laugh factory or comedy store or something. And he came in and, uh, we caught up, uh, for a little bit. And I remember that night because he told me that Lucian hold had died. And Lucian was the famous, slash infamous uh, gatekeeper to the comedies to the comic strip which uh, he'd also been Tony's manager if I remember right and uh, at least for a little while and uh, and I ha- didn't know Lucian had died and that was kind of shocking to me uh, Lucian had, had this debilitating disease for a while but um, Lucian was a character the, that's the only reason I'm dwelling on it I uh, Lucian was someone who uh, kind of had an outsized role in my life. And I say outsized because uh, it was disproportionate to the amount of time we spent with each other, but he had a big impact um, on my life in, in multiple ways. Um, so it was really something. Uh, and he was just such a, such a wild, uh, interesting, wildly interesting. That's what I meant to say. Wildly interesting character. But that's where I heard about it was from Tony that night in 2006 and that, I think, was the last time I actually talked to a stand-up comic. Uh, I'm thinking about that, but I think that's right. Anyway, that's a really long way of saying I really enjoyed talking to Ashley. Um, and I'm really interested to see where her career goes from here. So, um, yeah, that will be, uh, that'll be something to keep our eye on. Okay, other stuff that you guys should know. Um, Parlor is back up and firing. We're doing admissions, which is a bit of a risky play for us to do this month. It's um, it won the 2018 Drama Desk Award. Uh, it is the most non-comedy play that we're doing uh, this season, and we're doing it mostly because I think I'm trying to test the left and right limits of uh, what everybody likes to see. So this is one that is funny. I find it funny, um, but it's definitely a piece of social commentary about um, well-intentioned progressive folks uh, who run into the, uh, the, the stiff wall of their own hypocrisy. And it's kind of a, uh, a loving critique, let's say, of um, racial quotas and, and the admissions process in, in higher education. Uh, I think it's a brilliant piece of work. Um, and uh, we'll see. We'll see how people like it. I'm really excited about it. Uh, it, it, and I think it's funny and I think it's relevant. I think it's, uh, moving and all the rest of it, but, uh, but we'll see, we'll see how people like, and if they don't like this, it's okay. We got 39 steps coming up in October, which is going to be a fucking, that is a show you do not want to miss. If you're in the greater Cornwall area, it is going to be, 
um, that one, there's so much I have to say about that, but we'll get to that later. Um, other stuff that you should know, our good friend, Anthony Roberts, uh, has put together a fundraiser for us on uh, September 22nd at the KGB bar in New York City. So if you're in the city or you're near the city, come on out, check it out. We'd love to see you there. Uh, we appreciate your support. Um, again, Anthony, I think I told this story before, but you know he hit me up after the festival. And I, I think if I had to play amateur psychiatrist, I think his brain was buzzing with possibilities and ideas and I could see the wheels turning and call me up and he's like, Hey, uh, you know, I want to do something at KGB bar. And I was like, dude, I was like, I'm fucking tapped out, man. That festival kicked my ass. Um, I'm not sure I got the stamina for much else. He's like, no, 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 you wouldn't have to do anything. It's like, I wanted to be a fundraiser for vet rep. And I was like, Oh, well, sure. Free money. Yeah. I'm down for that. And, uh, anyway, he's put a lot of effort into it and I really appreciate it. And there's so many great, veteran writers and artists that are going to be there. I think it's going to be a really fun show. So um, deeply appreciate that. And then there's a bunch of other stuff I can't talk about uh, right now that we have going on. But uh, the second that is available for public consumption, I will let you all know. Okay. I think that's almost everything I have to say as far as shameless plugs go. um, If you're listening to us on iTunes, obviously we'd love your review. And we'd love it if you attach five stars to it. Say whatever you want to us, questions, comments, snide remarks. If you can attach it to five stars, though, that would be dynamite. As always, thanks to our producer, Mike Neal. Did I even mention the website? Did I even say our website? Man, okay. I got so caught up with talking about the world stand-up, I didn't even do the standard stuff. Okay, everything you want to know about Vet Rep, everything you want to know about Veterans Repertory Theater, all of our lines of effort, and we have a lot. Um, We are incredibly busy. Um, there's the best way to keep up with that, uh, besides probably following us on Instagram where we're at vet rep theater. Again, that's at vet rep theater on Instagram. But besides that, the best thing to do is just go to the website and you can see everything that we have going on. The website is vetrep.org, V E T R E P.org, vetrep.org. It gives you a chance to buy tickets to our shows, see what stuff we have coming up. Um, you know, any and everything related to us, check it out at vetrep.org. Okay, now that that's done, thanks to our producer, Mike Neal. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer on behalf of Veterans Repertory Theater. See you next time when we'll dive further into the savage wonder of it all.